You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Let the Word of God, not our upbringing, not what we've been taught, but the Word of God, the Word of God. Those that taught me early on were sincere and believed truly in what they said. But through my study of the Scriptures, I've discovered that I wasn't taught accurately. By the way, Priscilla and Aquila, two of Paul's ministry associates, pulled Apollos aside after they heard him speak, and it said they took him to their house, and they taught him the way of God more adequately. And in the context, I think they had to tell him about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Religious tradition is a dangerous thing when we're not open to hear with spiritual ears what the Word of God is trying to reveal because of what we've been previously taught by well-meaning church leaders and teachers, we can miss out on all that the Lord has for us. In today's message, Pastor Danny teaches us about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Bible reveals that we must be filled with the Holy Spirit as the disciples were filled in the book of Acts because it's through this that we are empowered to do the Lord's will. Now here's Pastor Danny with today's edition of The Living Word from the book of Acts, chapter 1. The tongues at Pentecost was a sign to these unbelieving Jews who as a nation had rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And that was sin. And that was rebellion. And the sign that they were wrong was this gift of tongues on the day of Pentecost. Now I got a few questions. Very little PowerPoint today. You got to do the old-fashioned listen. Should every Christian have the gift of tongues? 1 Corinthians 12, 29 and 30, Paul asked the question, are all teachers, are all apostles, are all prophets? Then he says, do all speak in tongues? Now, the answer to the first question has to be the answer to the next one. Uh, no, all are not prophets. All are not teachers, okay? And so I have to say, well, then God may not have all Christians to have the gift of tongues. My wife has the gift. I don't understand it. She grew up Plymouth Brethren. I grew up Baptist. I was more open to the gifts of the Spirit before she was. I wanted the gift of tongues. I'm still open to it. God hasn't given it to me. I've been prayed for and prayed over by some of the best. I've been prayed over by the ones that are speaking in tongues as they're praying for me, and then they say, just go ahead and just go ahead and give praise and go ahead and begin to speak. And the motor just never turned on. Okay? It is what it is. But I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. My wife has the gift. I don't. I'm okay with that. The more important question is, have I been empowered, baptized by the Holy Spirit? That's the more important question. 
Some would say the sign of the baptism, the empowering of the Holy Spirit is the gift of tongues. I don't believe that's the only sign. I think that's unscriptural. It can be a sign of an empowering of the Holy Spirit, but it's not the only sign. Let me share with you the three ministries of the Holy Spirit in our lives, okay? Just briefly. The first, Jesus said in John 14 and 17, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he is with you. He is with you. The Holy Spirit, the paraclete, that's one of the words. It means one who comes alongside. And the Holy Spirit is the one who comes alongside us to lead us to Christ. If it weren't for the Holy Spirit, we could never be saved. The Holy Spirit draws us, convicts us, with us to lead us to Christ. Then, same verse, he says, and he shall be, he will be in you. In you. In John chapter 20, after the resurrection, Jesus breathed on his disciples and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. That had to be more than just words. And at that point, the ministry of the Holy Spirit changed for the believer. Now Ephesians tells us that when you believe the gospel, the word of truth, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. You were baptized into the body of Christ, and now the Holy Spirit dwells in you. He's with you. He will be in you. But Jesus here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, said, I want you to wait. Don't leave Jerusalem. I think that was hard to hear because they'd already been given the Great Commission, going to all the world, preach the gospel. They knew the gospel. They had been with Jesus for three years. They had been on two very successful short-term mission trips. They saw demons cast out. They saw miracles happen. And yet he says, oh, wait a minute now. Wait, I know you got all this. I know you've had these experiences. You need to wait. You need to wait. And in God's time, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus is baptized in water, identifying himself with death, burial, resurrection. After he's baptized in water, he comes up out of the water. And you know what happened? The Holy Spirit, in the form of a dove, comes down and comes upon him. Now, you're going to tell me Jesus didn't have the Holy Spirit before that? Come on. But that's the beginning of his public ministry, where he ministers by the leading and the power of the Holy Spirit in the same way God wants to lead and minister through us. The same Holy Spirit that empowered and came upon Jesus wants to come upon you and me as disciples of Jesus Christ. I just think that's incredible. With you, in you, upon you. Examples of Christians who have received and empowering of the Holy Spirit Distinct from their salvation experience, there are a whole bunch of them. Oswald Chambers, D.L. Moody. That might surprise some people. Read his book, Secret Power, he'll tell you. R.A. Torrey, Charles Spurgeon, Danny Hodges, Wendy Hodges, and a lot of you that I know. Another important question. Am I continuing to be filled with the Holy Spirit? See, I was taught, too, that once I received Christ, I was baptized with the Holy Spirit, and there's no other work, baptism with the Holy Spirit, and, and I find that that's not true. That's not scriptural. But this filling of the Holy Spirit, it says the Holy Spirit came upon them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Once I'm filled once, do I need to be filled again? The answer is yes. And you say, why? I love what one person said years ago in answer to that question. If I've been filled once with the Holy Spirit, why do I need to be filled again? And the answer he gave was this. Because we leak. <laughs> now, I like that. I like that. I don't know if it's scriptural or not, but, uh, but there's another thing, too. 
there is ministry of the Holy Spirit as he's leading us, and there's certain things he wants to do at certain times, and he filled us here at this moment, but he wants to refill us again for this moment. And Ephesians 5.18 says we're to continually keep on being filled. It's a, it's a repeated process. It doesn't happen, and then you got it, and then it never happens again. You're filled, and then later you're filled again, and later you're filled again, you're filled again, over and over again. Ephesians 5.18. Let me take my last few minutes, and I want you to go with me. You can go with me and turn, or you can just pay attention and listen. When we get to Acts chapter 6, the church is still growing numerically at a pretty fast pace. It causes that the Grecian widows are neglected in the daily distribution of food. The apostles give some wise advice. We're going to keep our priority of prayer in the ministry of the word. You choose seven men, seven men, and help have them solve this problem of the waiting on tables and the serving of the food. You know what one of the requirements was for these seven men? They're the first deacons of the early church. One of the requirements, men full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit. You get to Acts chapter 6, verse 10, one of these early deacons, one of these seven men, a man named Stephen, God was doing miraculous things through his life, and opposition came against him. Now that's going to happen whenever you're doing anything from the Lord, you're going to get opposition. But these guys who came to oppose him, verse 10 of Acts 6, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Jesus told the disciples in Matthew chapter 10, some of you are going to be arrested on account of your faith in me. You're going to stand before the courts. When that happens, don't worry about what to say because the Holy Spirit from my Father will tell you at that time what to say. He tells Stephen. Stephen then gets up and gives a Holy Spirit-filled, blistering message that if these guys would have received it, they'd have been saved. But instead, they get more mad. And you go to chapter 7 of Acts, verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious gnashed their teeth at him because he closed his sermon by saying, you're just like your forefathers. You're hard-hearted, stiff-necked. You resist the Holy Spirit. They were furious. Gnashed their teeth at him. Verse 55, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He was filled with the Holy Spirit in ministry and he died. Full of the Holy Spirit. What a way to go. You ever face a time like this where this kind of opposition comes against you? You're going to need the empowering of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to need the empowering of the Holy Spirit. You get to chapter 8. The word, because of the persecution that came about after Stephen's martyrdom, they stoned him to death. And the disciples were scattered. Some of them ended up in Samaria. Philip ended up there. And God was working in Philip's life and his ministry. He's full of the Holy Spirit. And a revival breaks out in Samaria. Verse 14 of chapter 8, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received 
the Holy Spirit. And if you look carefully, it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. You get to chapter 9, and Saul of Tarsus, on his way to Damascus, to persecute more Christians. He sees the resurrected Christ. He gets saved. A disciple named Ananias is sent to him to give a word from the Lord to him. Verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again, because he had been blinded, and and be filled with the Holy Spirit. You get to Acts chapter 10. Peter sees a vision. God has to give it to him three times because it's a vision of unclean animals. And the message is, get up, Peter, kill and eat. He says, no, I've been kosher my whole life. God's trying to teach him that he's going to do the same for the Gentiles that he did for the Jews by faith, by faith, by faith. Holy Spirit sends him to the house of a Gentile centurion, soldier named Cornelius. Cornelius has invited so many people. The house he lives in is packed, and he was a wealthy guy. There's probably a lot of people there. Peter shows up. Peter gives the gospel. And while he's giving the gospel, verse 44 of Acts chapter 10, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came upon all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And Peter says, what argument would anybody have for these people to be baptized because they received the Holy Spirit just like we have? And they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit first. Then they got baptized under repentance. There's no one pattern. There's no cute formula for this. But boy, do we need it. You get to chapter 16 of the book of Acts. And you read these words. Verse 6, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia, Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit. From preaching the word in the province of Asia. When we came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. He closes doors. He opens doors. He closes doors that nobody can open, and he opens doors that nobody can close. He gives wisdom that nobody can refute. He gives boldness. He gives courage. By the way, one scripture I forgot is after, in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are arrested by the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court, threatens them. They go back and they call a prayer meeting. They say, Lord, you help us. Grant us boldness to speak your word. Help us not to back down. The place they were meeting, praying, was shaken. And it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They had been filled in Acts 2. They got refilled in Acts 4. And you'll find that pattern again and again and again. Paul the Apostle meets a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. And it says, Paul, full of the Holy Spirit, looked straight at this false prophet and spoke a word to him and God blinded him. Because he was trying to turn a government leader that Paul was sharing got the gospel with. He's trying to turn him from the gospel. And so Paul dealt with him by the power of the Holy Spirit. A couple more. Listen, hang with me. Acts chapter 18, verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man. Don't miss this. With a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. You could have put my name there. 
in the first few years of my ministry. I think I spoke about Jesus accurately. I was fervent about speaking about Jesus accurately. But the only baptism I knew was the baptism of John. The baptism unto repentance. And then the Holy Spirit coming to live inside me. I later discovered from scripture first and experience second, there's another baptism. And thank God I've experienced it. It changed my ministry. Changed my life. And then you get to chapter 19. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus, where Apollos had just been. Paul comes across 12 disciples, and he notices something's lacking. And he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And in the context, it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, since you believed. They say, nobody's told us. Nobody's told us. On hearing this, verse 5, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus because they only knew the baptism of John. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Lord Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 in all. Apollos was just in Ephesus. But he didn't tell anybody about this baptism of the Holy Spirit because he didn't know about it and had never experienced it. And I know what some of you are thinking at this point. Can't wait till this service is over. <laughs> We're going to find another church. I don't know if this is the church for us. I think that's a shame if that's what you're thinking. Because my challenge, my challenge for all of us with whatever I stand up here and say is let the word of God be the final determiner in what we believe. All right? Let the word of God, not our upbringing, not what we've been taught, but the word of God. The word of God. Those that taught me early on were sincere and believed truly in what they said. But through my study of the scriptures, I've discovered that I wasn't taught accurately. By the way, Priscilla and Aquila, two of Paul's ministry associates, pulled Apollos aside after they heard him speak. And it said they took him to their house and they taught him the way of God more adequately. And in the context, I think they had to tell him about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the empowering of the Holy Spirit, 1158. Storm, written by Pastor Jim Simla. I think it's a must-read for every pastor, if not every Christian. He says here, The long history of dynamic spiritual revivals is all about the manifest presence of God when heaven visits earth in a fresh way. Every revival in history began with a person or group of people praying down a new visitation of God's Spirit. He says on the next page, The only answer to a lukewarm church or a struggling Christian is the same as ever the fire of the Holy Spirit. Last thing I put in my notes is the Holy Spirit can accomplish in 10 minutes what can not be accomplished in 10 one-hour counseling sessions or 100 if that matter, for that matter. He starts out this chapter, chapter 6 that I'm reading from, and he tells a story about how he grew up in Brooklyn, New York, where he still lives in pastors, pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle, pastor Jim Simbola. But in the summers, when he was a young boy, he'd visit his aunt and uncle in Milford, Connecticut. They lived in the country, and uh, his first trip there, he out in the woods, and he never had been told what poison ivy is, and he learned very personally. He says, I was used to going to church on Sunday, and my aunt and uncle took me faithfully to their small church in Milford. There, they sang some of the same hymns, an offering was collected, and a sermon was preached, just as at my parents' church. One Sunday night, there was a very special service in that little church. I can't recall the sermon preached. But toward the end of the meeting, the altar area was open for people to come forward to worship, sing, and pray. Sitting in the pew, I couldn't see what was happening, but suddenly I felt something that seemed to fill the room. 
Even my ornery little heart knew something unusual was taking place. And though it was invisible like the wind, I knew it was real. After a few minutes, I whispered to my Aunt May, who sat in the pew next to me, What's happening? Oh, Jimmy, that's the presence of the Lord, she said. Sometimes he comes quietly. Sometimes he stirs us to praise out loud. It's never the same, but you're feeling what you're feeling is the presence of God. As soon as she said it, I knew that what she was saying was true. No one could manufacture or whip up what I was sensing. Though I couldn't use my five senses to touch him, God's presence was palpably real in that moment. Time seemed to stop while I basked in the sweetness of Jesus and the greatness of God. I was young at the time, but decades later as I write these words, I vividly remember that Holy Spirit-filled moment. Scripture calls these moments times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. On Pentecost, the disciples experienced that holy presence with a violent wind and tongues of fire. While the Holy Spirit may not come to us in wind and fire, we can still experience the stirring power of his presence today. By the way, it just comes to my mind, and so I think I'll throw it in. I, I was also taught that the tongues given to the early disciples at Pentecost was the supernatural enabling of them to share the gospel. But that's not what the text says. It says they heard them, all these people that spoke these other languages, they heard them declaring the wonders of God. That's what they heard. They heard them overflowing in praise and worship. That's what they heard. That's what the text says. But not only that, if they were giving the gospel in a supernatural language that God was enabling them to give, that they were sharing the gospel, why did Peter have to share the gospel? Pretty good point. Not only is not what the text says, but if they gave the gospel, why did Peter have to give the gospel? Romans chapter 1, and I won't read much. We're almost done. But in Romans chapter 1, it talks about people who have rejected God, even though he's given knowledge of himself. And it's interesting when you get down in chapter 1 of Romans to verse 29, it says this. They become filled, filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They're gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, etc. All these things, they're filled. They're filled. They're filled with sinful things. I noted in my study, uh, Jesus, before he went to be tempted by the devil in the wilderness, it says he was full of the Holy Spirit, and then he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He resisted temptation, and then he left the wilderness, goes back to Jerusalem, and it says he left and went back full of the Holy Spirit. He started out full of the Holy Spirit, he ended full of the Holy Spirit, and in between he resisted temptation. Guess what? If you fall into temptation, you need to repent, or you can't be filled with God's Holy Spirit. You're filled with that mistake. You're filled with that habit. You're filled with some sin. You need to repent. Jesus in Acts, or Peter in Acts 2, when they said they were cut to the heart, they said, what must, what should we do? He said, repent, repent, be baptized. And if you repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus, then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So repentance, repentance, not only to receive Christ, but after receiving Christ, we can fail and some of us here failed. You know the Lord. You're saved. You don't doubt you're headed for heaven, but you failed. You need to repent. Repent. It's a great thing to be able to repent. It's a great gift to be able to repent of sin after becoming a Christian and then be filled with Jesus through his Holy Spirit again and have that joy again, have that peace again, have that fellowship with Jesus again. 
The book of Acts details the birth of the church as we know it today. Before Jesus came, the only way to worship God was in a temple, with sacrifices at the ready and only speaking to him through another person. Jesus changed that. Now everyone has direct access to the King of Kings. We can speak to him through our prayers and even hear directly back from him in our own spirit. This is thanks to the gift of the Holy Spirit, who is received as soon as we give our lives to Jesus. Today, you too can have the Holy Spirit flowing through you and giving you the guidance and hope you desire. We'd love to tell you more about this. Send us a quick email at info at ccfstpete.church and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. You can connect with us on social media as well. Find The Living Word on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and jump into the conversations there. Find links to all of these at our website, ccfstpete.church. Are you in the St. Petersburg area? We would love to meet you. Every message you hear on The Living Word comes from a teaching that Pastor Danny Hodges has shared at Calvary Chapel Fellowship and you're invited to join us for our weekly services. Our church is filled with imperfect people being made holy by our perfect creator, and we know that you'll fit right in. Find directions at our website. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. With that, our time with you has officially come to an end. Pastor Danny will lead us deeper into the book of Acts when you join us next time, right here on The Living Word.